All right, if you have your Bible today, I hope you do. I want you to take your Bible and locate Hebrews chapter 10. And after you find that, turn to Titus chapter 3. They'll be close together. Hebrews chapter 10 and Titus chapter 3. And we want to talk about our church family again today. How to bless your church family. I know it's a little bit late. I'm going to talk fast. I want you to listen fast. Don't look at your watch. I'm not going to go real long, but I do. This is important. So I want you to listen to me. Over uh, in Brand Springs, there's a several baseball fields, and there's one field. Those of you that have been in Huntsville a long time know where it's at. It's called Jake Miller Field. And when I was a little boy, that was my kind of home baseball field where I grew up playing ball. And I was about 10 years old, and uh, we pulled up there, and Dad dropped me off, and I walked in to the dugout. And spontaneously, my teammates were sitting there, and, and they began to applaud. Well, that had never happened before. I knew it wasn't because of my power. It sure wasn't because of my speed. And I was a little bit confused. Why, why are they so happy to see me? And the coach came up, put his arm around me. He said, boy, we're glad you're here. He said, we only have eight players. You're nine. <laughs> and, and so, you know, kind of deflated my ego a little bit. Uh, not really. It was good good to be wanted, you know. Uh, whenever there are some sports that you cannot compete if you do not have the correct number. And anytime you have an incomplete team, you're at a major disadvantage. And whenever our church gathers, such as this at a corporate gathering or even in, in life groups, uh, what we are doing is far more important than any any team sport. And every single person, every single person is vital. And I chose that word on purpose. It's vi- you are vital. Um, there are different uh, pictures, illustrations that the Bible gives, metaphors to show us how a church is to function. For example, in the book of Ephesians, the, the church is pictured as a building and also as a bride and then also as a body. And then in other places in the New Testament, the church, the local church, is pictured as, as a body. Now, your body has, has different members, each member of the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, the, the different members of the church are pictured as eyes, ears, hands, or feet. And each are dependent upon the other. Uh, no person has all of the gifts or the abilities of the other person. So that means that when I come to church that I cannot meet all of the needs. It means also that I, I have I have a gift. It means I have a contribution. That when I come to church that I'm bringing something to offer that nobody else can bring. And that's not, that's a humility. Uh, it's also one of significance. And uh, I need you, and you need me. And so, please never feel like that that you're not needed. We cannot function, we cannot function the way that God wants us to function as Friendship Baptist Church without your presence and without your participation. Now, here's where church is one reason churches begin to break down, not the only reason. And I believe the enemy gets us to think this way. 
<clears throat> pardon me, it's a mentality that there's a separate category of people in the church. And it goes like this, that some people contribute and some people receive. And that there, there's kind of like a high class and there's a low class of people. Like the contributors, uh, the contributors are, are those that are on the platform. It's those that preach the sermons or the life group leaders. These are the important people. And I'm I'm one that receives. And so what happens is it unintended, and I think sometimes the pastors unintentionally do this, but they communicate that there's, there's this gap and one group is more important than the other. And I want to to say very clearly that 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 is not true. Every single person in this building, if you are a Christian and you've been born again, God has given you a gift, and along with that gift is a responsibility to contribute to the ministry of the church to which you belong. And when your gift is not in that mix, then we are missing something, and and you're not able to, to... Help us be the church that we ought to be. And by the way, uh, you're not being fulfilled because God wants you to use and exercise that gift. Every person is vital in a local church. And so when you come to church, there ought to be uh, an excitement, if you will, that, okay, I'm watch this. I'm coming to receive something and I'm coming to invest something. I love what Les Ola said, one of my mentors. He said, when you go to church, don't, don't come with a microscope, but come with a bucket. And it's a very apt metaphor. What's he saying? Don't, don't come to, to micromanage and to criticize, but come with a bucket to receive. God, I, I'm coming today. What, what do you want me to receive through the music, through the prayers, through the words of the people, through the Bible teaching? And when I walk out these doors, what have you put in my bucket? And then also, Lord, uh, I'm coming with a bucket with some things in it. What do you want me to, to give to people? What are the words? What are, what's in my gift mix that you have given to me that you want me to distribute to people? You see, there's this, there's this exchange, mutual exchange of receiving and giving on every single service and that's when we're called the body of Christ. We're dependent, we are interdependent upon each other. Now, <clears throat> football is perhaps the, the ultimate team sport. Uh, you can have a, a basketball team with two outstanding players and win. You can have a baseball team with two good pitchers and a couple of good hitters and win. But if the offensive line, if one guy on the line doesn't block correctly, the play blows up. And if one person on defense doesn't play their position, no matter how good stars you have, uh, sometimes the opposition's going to, to gain yardage, if not score. So when, when a team member, when a body member, that we're talking about that as the metaphor, when a body member in a church is absent, or maybe they're present with their body, but they're not functioning. The church is weak. It's not at full strength, and it's not fulfilling its purpose. Now, let me let me continue the sports metaphor because I I, I love sports and and I, I wanted to coach and and have coached for 
a long time until my boys grew up, and I don't do that anymore. But let, let's use football again, okay? Um, I think sometimes to use a football metaphor that you see this as playing the game. I'm going to the church and that's the game, but it's not. Now stay with me, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm not being irreverent comparing this. I'm just using kind of a salty, secular idea here to get it to communicate. With. This is the huddle. We, we are calling. This is the huddle. You're getting the plays. And when you walk out the doors, you execute the plays during the week. This is the playbook. And could I call myself a coach? I'm giving you the plays from God's Word, and you go out and you execute those plays. And listen to this statement. The health and the growth of our church is not determined by your sitting on the pew, but by your fulfilling of your assignment of what happens in your life group and also in church. It's by your obedience. And my obedience is what we do with what we have. Now, there's a scripture in Galatians 6.10 that we're basing this all on, and I'll read it to you, and then we'll go on real quickly here. The Bible says, as we have therefore opportunity. There's a lot said there. Now, as you have opportunity... What are you supposed to do when we have opportunities? Let us do good unto all men. We are to serve people when you have opportunity. Now, I want to ask you, when is that? Well, you've already had opportunities today. I would dare say you've had multiple opportunities. Some of you will go out to eat. You will have opportunities at the restaurant while you're in line with your waiter, with your waitress. You will have opportunities with your family. The Holy Spirit of God will bring prayers across your way. A good friend of mine sent me a a text and said uh, his mother's dying. His father died a couple of years ago, and and he's grieving. And uh, she'll probably pass away today sometime. And and I began to pray for him, and then God brought a scripture to mind. And I thought, "That, that scripture helped me. And I said, you know, I need, I need to send that verse to him. But the verse had a story to it. And then I, I said, well, I need to type that story. I have big thumbs. I have big fingers. I don't text good. And so I didn't have my computer with me. And I don't get a trophy for this. I'm trying to give you an illustration. So I, I, I took time last night after we had our, our, our dinner together with our life group and I, I wrote out the story. It took me maybe 20 minutes. And I put the verse. And then I went back and I edited it and I hit send. About 10 minutes later, he said, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this verse. Thank you so much for what you sent me. Well, it helped me. It helped me when I lost both of my parents. I thought it might help him. I wonder how many times you have ideas, but you do not you do not fulfill the assignment. You don't listen to the Holy Spirit. I use the word execute. I don't like the term, but you, for some reason, you don't execute what the Holy Spirit puts in your mind. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Lost people, I believe more people would get saved if you would be good to. Them. They need the gospel. But your, your, your goodness, your ministry, your servant's heart attracts them to a good God. 
especially unto them who are the household of faith. And we are, we are to serve people. The reason we don't serve people is we don't have servants' hearts. Now, I wrote this down, and i got to move. As we serve, we strengthen our church. As we serve, we strengthen our church. And it's not just dutifully going through something. Well, I've got to go to church. I've got it. No, no. It, it's, I want to do this because this is an opportunity. And later you, you, you get joy. Sometimes in the immediacy of the moment, you get joy. This is so crucial. Now, ha, ha, what does this look like? Well, notice in Hebrews chapter 10, if you'll read there with me, and notice in verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So here's the public gathering, the corporate gathering, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So in this verse, we're given three ways to strengthen others as we gather. Now, I've already given you the first one. And that's given to us in verse 24, where the Word of God there says that we are to consider others. Our church is strong as we serve by considering others. That's how we serve people. And and before you do things, you have to think things. The Bible says in verse 24, let us. Now that's plural, because you're gathered together. Verse 25 is talking about a public gathering. Let us. But then it becomes personal. Consider one another. So you don't consider the group. Let us together consider one another. So I get all the, I'm just grab this in my mind real quick. Life group teachers up here. Maybe God spoke to you about one of them. So I love them. I love them. Well, why don't you tell them? You know? And, and you never know what, what a word of encouragement will do. You see somebody walking across the parking lot, the Holy Spirit will, will do something. Now, listen, sometimes you, you, you consider people. The word consider there means to focus carefully. It even means to inspect. I mean, it, it's a close, it's intentional, but you're inspecting not to criticize, but to help. And it all begins here. It's an other's focus. That's what it is. We're so selfish that we don't. We consider ourselves. You know, I'm I'm concerned about my comfort, my seat. I'm concerned about how long the service is. I'm concerned about my 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 perspective, my lens. But we don't we don't think about others. We, we serve by considering. Huge. Number two, we, we serve by motivating others. Same verse, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The word provoke means to stir and rouse. It means to motivate. Now, it can mean in a negative way. I've heard it preached this way. Oh, yeah, just, just get them stirred up, agitate them. That's not what it means. It means to motivate them. What are you motivating them to? To love and to good works. Now, the secret to motivating people is serving them by by your consideration. 
Now listen, you don't reproduce what you want, you reproduce what you are. Let us consider one another to, the result of your consideration is motivation. And you begin to provoke other people to love. And they be, look at this, they begin to do good works. What does that mean? They begin to serve people. And it's good stuff. I, I love the word good works. The word works, we get the word energy from it. it it's an, it's an ex, expense of energy, but it's towards something good. People don't just do that. They have to be motivated to it, but they do that by your heart. And I'm going to tell you, if you see someone like that, they weren't born that way. They, they became that way because of Jesus and their walk with God. Now, good works are so important in the life of a Christian. First of all, a couple of things. Number one, good works are the purpose of our salvation. Not the only purpose, but God saved you to serve. I remember my mom, I love reading people's Bibles. And I'd read in my mom, she used to write in her flyleaf of her Bible. That's kind of what got me started in it. And she, she, one of the statements she wrote, we are one to win and we're saved to serve. And I never forgot that. I thought, well, that, that's true, isn't it? We're one to win, one to Christ to win others, and we're saved to serve others. And the purpose of my salvation, one of the purposes is so that I, I will serve. Here's a verse in Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship. In other words, God is working in me. The word workmanship in the Greek is the word poem. God is writing a poem in my life. And uh, I can't see it all. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Created in Christ Jesus, not by good works. I'm not saved by good works. I'm saved by grace. But God, I'm created in Christ. But it's unto good works. God saved me unto good works. So that I will serve people. You know, everybody says, oh, I want to serve God. You know how you serve God? You help people. It's not spooky. Just help your neighbor. Help people. Serve people. This is God's purpose for your life. Which God, look at this, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. God has good works ordained for you. Right now, you say, well, Rick, how do I know what they are? I'm going to tell you. You just start walking in them. That we should walk in them. In your walk, as you're walking with God, as you're walking in the heart of a servant, you'll just begin to find them. You'll just begin to identify them. And that's God's purpose for your life. There's nothing spooky about the will of God. Nothing. It's just serving people, loving people, helping people. There's two categories of commandments in the Bible, loving God and loving people. Now, under that, there's a whole lot of things we do, but but when you get the 40,000-foot view, that's it. It's all about loving God and loving people, helping people. We have I have their names written, but I, I went looked at it this morning. I said, maybe I, I shouldn't say their names, though they deserve to be mentioned. And if I said their names, you would agree. They, they do acts of kindnesses constantly, constantly in our church body. 
But they do stuff that I find out about. I I didn't know they did that. And they are walking in good works. You You know what I call it? I call it judgment seat, a judgment seat life. The Bible says in Matthew 6, three times, uh, it says that God sees in secret so he can reward openly. They're not doing things so other people will find. They're just doing things to help. And one day all of these things, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, will be made manifest. Now, not only is this God's purpose for our life, but the Word of God equips us to live this way. And it's one of the purposes of the Bible to, to equip us to serve. Did you know this? The Bible was not written to make you smart. It was written to make you a servant. The Bible was not written so you could debate. The Bible was not written so you could uh, get awards at, at Awana and, and, and go off with the Timothy Award or whatever. And, and my kids won those things. I, the Bible was written so you could be a servant. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all Scripture, all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, are given by inspiration of God. God breathed it. And it's profitable. It's for our advantage. And there are four purposes for Scripture, for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof. It convicts me when I'm wrong. It corrects me, helps me to teaches me how to get on the right path, and the Bible instructs me in righteousness. It helps me to do right. Now, the next word in the Greek language, I'm trying to be smart with you, but it's the word hina, and it introduces a purpose clause. It means in order that, that, in order that. All of these things the Bible does are that, in order that the man of God it includes a woman of God, may be perfect. Now, that doesn't mean sinless. It means equipped, fitted out fully. Not thoroughly, but thoroughly furnished. has the same idea as perfect. It means completely finished, out in design. The house is fully done. And God's working on us till we get to heaven. Unto, look at this. Have you ever noticed this? This is the purpose of the Bible, unto all good works, all good works. Well, how do, you, how, how do I do this? How do I live a life that is worthy of this when I get in the Bible and, and God's Word encourages me to live this way? Well, there's one book in the Bible that the theme is good works. It's the book of Titus. There's three chapters, and six times in those three chapters, the two words good works are used. And, and it's implied more than six times, but those words, those two words, six good works are used six times. And I want you to look with me in Titus chapter 3, and I, I want to show you in our remaining time, real quickly, three actions that you can do that will help you to motivate people to live a life of love and good works. Okay? Now you're supposed to consider people, and now you're supposed to motivate them. 
by your life, by a servant, sorry. Okay, let's read Titus chapter number one. Let, let me give you the, the, the idea and then we'll look at the verse. Number one, consider in each situation how you might serve others. Now, you say, Rick, you've already mentioned that once. Yeah, but it's here in this text again. Consider in each or every situation how you might serve others. So what you do when you walk on Thanksgiving, your, your first idea is how can I, how can I help? Uh, how, how can I bless people? How can I serve people? Now here's the verse in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. Titus 3, 8. Paul's writing to one of his mentees, Titus. I love Titus. Don't have time to talk about him right now, but notice this. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Now, whatever he's about to say was so important that he said, I want you to preach this. He was a pastor at Crete, which is right off of Italy there, a little island. And he said, I want you to, because this is going to make your church healthy. And it had a lot of problems. But I want you to affirm this constantly, Titus, that they which have believed in God, these are people that are saved, might be careful to maintain good works. All right, that's so simple, isn't it? Now, Pastor, I want you to affirm this constantly, to tell your people to be faithful and careful to maintain good works. Now, let's just break this apart. We've been talking on Wednesday nights in our Bible study about how to study the Bible, and every word is important. What does it mean to be careful to maintain good works? It's the same word that means to worry. It means to be full of care. Well, contextually, he's not talking about worrying, but here's what he's talking about, to give sustained and, and, and careful thought. It's the idea of consideration. It's like my mind is filled with this thinking that I might be full of thinking of good works. Not so I'll be noticed, but I want, I want to serve. I want to serve. You know, one day when, uh, when I go to heaven and, and my kids, and my, wa- my wife walk by and, and my friends, God willing, I don't want them to say, boy, he was a taker. He manipulated me. I, I, I hope they would say, you know, he, he loved me and, and he gave his life for me rather than he, he took advantage of me. That they have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. What does that mean? Well, it means to, to keep something before you. It means it, it's before you all the time. So you're thinking it. And you're maintaining good works because it's a priority in your life. This is a priority. You're thinking about it. And just like Bible reading is a priority, serving is a priority. Now continue the verse. These things are good. Now look at this. And profitable unto men. The word profitable means it gives you a blessing and it's to your advantage. To my advantage, how? I'm laying my life down. Well, one day at the judgment seat, but even in this life, the Bible says that servants are happier. And I'll tell you this, they have more friends. 
That's not your goal. But, but it is profitable to you when you live that way. It gives peace in the home. I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good work. What is in your mind? When you walked into church today, was your mind filled with, with worry, with stress? It, sometimes it is, isn't it? Or were you thinking about how can I serve? What, what can I do? I'm going to bring my bucket to receive and I want to bring my bucket a, a, a blessing so, so that I can, I, I can motivate. Not, not because I want people to love me. That, that's, that's not the right idea. But so I can love people, so I can bless people. And motivate them unto love and to good works. Because what happens is they want to do the same. You, you serve as a, a good works mentor for them. Good works. Good works. In every environment, be careful to consider the needs of other people. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in uh, Virginia in my church. And there's a lady there named Artie Randolph. Uh, when we moved there, uh, her grandkids were in our youth ministry. And we went to, ever, anybody remember the, the old TV show Family Affair? Remember that, that old show? Well, they invited us to, to into their home to eat. And it was off of Van Dorn Street and um, kind of uh, close to Springfield in Alexandria. And I'm telling you, I don't know, Paula, that thing was about the 20th floor or something. It was way high. We had never, we got on an elevator and went up to their apartment. And both of us, this reminds me of that show. And we had a great meal in, in a nice apartment there. Well, anyhow, the, the husband died. And Artie is a precious lady. I think she's 98 years old. Is that right, Paula? Yeah, she's 98 years old. So I spoke at the service. And, and then I was sitting at a table after the service by one of our youth workers. And then Artie was sitting by her. And he's the wife of, of, the, uh, of, of the man that passed away years ago. The grandmother of the kids that were in my youth ministry. And she's just a lovely, lovely Christian. And so they had a little meal there afterwards. And um, so I'm talking to, to this lady that was on her youth ministry and all of a sudden, I looked up, and people are putting up. The, the fellowship was over. And this 98-year-old woman is folding the chairs and putting them up. The lady in charge of the fellowship was in our youth ministry. And she's a grandmother now. And she says, she comes over, she says, stop that. You sit down there. She fussed at her. She's okay. And she sat down, and I watched the lady that told her to stop, the girls in my youth ministry, she went over, and about three minutes later, already got back up, and she's, she's doing chairs again. And I thought, this, this is amazing. She, she, she is attracted. She's attracted to ministry. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It talks about a couple that is addicted to ministry. You can look it up. Uh, years ago, many years ago, I'm talking about decades ago, uh, because our parking lot is limited. I said, would you mind keeping the, the front parking lot here for our visitors and use this, our, our park down here front, uh, or down here by the gym area, 
just just to leave this kind of for our visitors. And uh, I don't make much about it and don't say a whole lot about it. Well, if you've ever noticed, and he can't come to church much anymore, but ever since then, Calvin Duell will part down by the gym, and you would just see him walking up. Calvin Duell is, is addicted to ministry. He doesn't make a show about it. I told him, I said, Calvin, I, I want you... I want you to park up here. This is, you, you need, no, I want to park down here. I want to help people. This is a faithful saying. These things I will that thou affirm constantly and that they which have believed in God might be careful. My mind is filled up like I'm filled with care and worry. I'm filled with good works. Lord, Lord, how can I help people? Not because my ego's big. I really don't want anybody to know. To maintain the word, it's really a word for leadership. It means one that stands before people, but it's not. It's not a position. It's this work. It's this attitude is before me all the time. And 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 you can, listen. You can live this way until this attitude gets before you all the time. I believe the Holy Spirit of God does a work in your life because we're so selfish. Lord, let me live in such a way, in such a self-forgetful way, that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others, that I may live like Thee. Consider in each situation how you might serve others. Number two, see serving as God's plan for your life. You know, some of you are looking for God's will, and, and this is it. You want to know the will of God? This is it. Some of you don't know the will of God because you don't do this. You think it's a place, and it's not. God will take you to the place. I remember we were doing uh, Henry Blackaby's book uh, that he had on, on uh, 12 sessions on experiencing God. And, and one of the best parts of that book is he said this, You are the will of God. Now stay with me, listen. The will of God is not a place. You are the will of God. Oh, I like that. You are the will. God does a work in you, and then he begins to open up doors. But he, he, he adjusts things in your life. Serving is God's plan for your life. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Jesus, the who is Jesus, gave himself for us that. There's the purpose statement. In order that... Jesus might redeem us, number one, from all iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people. That doesn't mean odd. It means that we belong to him in a very special way. Now look at this, zealous, zealous of good works. Now the word zealous there doesn't mean that you're a nut. And some people take that and say, no, I'm, uh, bless God, I'm peculiar because God told me to be. No, you're just weird. God didn't call you to be weird. God, God, the word peculiar means you belong to Him in a special way. And the word zealous there means that you're passionate and you're excited. And so here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to, to have a passion in service. Now listen, stay with me. Whenever my passion for service becomes dutiful and I begin to lose my zeal, I will stop serving. 
And it's a huge red light in my life to know that, hey, something is wrong. Because God made me. This is God's will for my life. It's a daily thing. And it's going to open other doors in my life. But if I stop serving and I'm not excited about serving my wife. I'm not excited about serving my children. I'm not excited about serving Daniel and his family. And, and Eric and his I'm not excited about that. But I want people to serve me. Then you know what? Then i got problems. And then all of a sudden, things begin to shrivel up. Bob Jones Sr. said this. He said, happiness is found in the pathway of duty. I want to tweak it. I think God's will is found in the pathway of duty. There's a verse. I'll read it to you. But if you want to look at it, it's, it's one of the most powerful verses in the Word of God. Acts chapter 13 and verse 36 And it talks about David. It says, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. Listen. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. I preached on it here decades ago. Just one sermon. It's been on my heart for several years now. David served you know, I can only serve my own generation. Now, I can influence people that can serve other generations, but me, just with my energy, I can only serve my own generation. God didn't ask me to lead my generation. He had, and By the way, that's what leadership is, is service. God called me to, to serve my generation. You know why? Because the Bible says, one day I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to die. And my opportunities are going to be over. That's why Galatians 6.10 says, As ye therefore have opportunity. And it's going to be gone. Now some of you young people, you look around and say, Well, you know, I see Dave up there stroking his gray beard. And I see Brother Rick up there with gray hair. And, you know, I, I got plenty of time. Uh, no, no, you may not have plenty of time. You, you serve, by the way, if you won't serve your own generation when you're 20 and 30, you're not going to serve your generation when you're 50 and 60. Serve your own generation by the will of God. That means you surrender. You say, God, what do you want me to do? And part of the will of God, according to Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, is to do good works. And let me give you the last thought and we'll be finished. The third way that you can motivate other people is to be ready to serve when the opportunity comes. Just be ready. Because you're looking, well, God, God may put it right in your lap. Interesting verse in Titus 3.1, there are three things he tells him to do in his ministry here. The first two have to do with the government. And he says, put them in mind. He's telling them how to preach. To be subject to principalities and powers or to authorities. It was a rebellious crowd. They didn't know much about submission. To obey magistrates, these are local authorities. Now, and, and isn't this a strange thing after he talks about this? To be ready to every good work. To be ready to every good work. The word ready there means, it means to be prompt to respond to an opportunity. Now, you won't be ready to do something if, if you're not willing. Somebody said the greatest uh, ability is availability. Galatians chapter 6, 
again, it, it, it says, at every opportunity that you have, be prepared to come there and and apply what God has given in your hand. Now, you're going to serve different than I am. Don't look at somebody else and say, well, they, they have more in their bucket than I do. No, God... God gave you your bucket. God gave you your gifts. God wants you to deliver what you can deliver. As we serve our church, our church is strengthened. So my question is this, do you have the heart of a servant? Because only the Spirit of God can put that in there. You have to die to self. And have you ever been saved? Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you been transformed so that He can make you His servant? One of the most important words in the Bible is the word servant. And it's not just in the New Testament. Moses was God's servant. Joshua was God's servant. You go through all of these people and and their titles, they were servants. Paul was a servant of God. And I I want to be, I want to be God's servant. But listen, the way I'm his servant is I serve you. I wait on you. That means, that means going last. And not complaining about it. That means putting others first. That means maintaining and putting you first and being careful, not with worries and resentment, but being being full of thoughts about others. Would you bow your heads with me? And while you're praying, would you just ask God to give you the heart?